Could a relief veterinarian help your practice during these times of overwhelming demand? This week, we've got an expert and a veterinary relief person herself who's going to talk to us how you can be leveraging relief staff to help you get through some of these tough times. This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And without a doubt, one of the toughest topics we have been dealing with for the past couple of years during this pandemic is we don't have enough people to serve the pets that we need to serve. And so this week, we've got a veterinarian who offers relief services, and she's going to talk to us about how you could be leveraging this type of approach throughout your clinic. So before we get into that conversation, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And I don't know, I, I'm, I can't wait for this conversation, honestly, because this individual is not only um, a brilliant uh, relief veterinarian, we've talked about that, that's what we're getting into today, but Dr. Cindy is also a consultant, she's a speaker, she is a serial entrepreneur, and an author, and she is all things Relief Vet. She is the founder of Relief Rover, which is, um, she'll tell us way more about this, but it's a platform that is like a match.com, I think, for relief people who need it and people who want to do it. Um, and has an interesting side business with a really big heart behind it. So um, we're going to get into that and more with Dr. Cindy Trace. Dr. Cindy, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Wow. Well, listen, Dr. Cindy Trice, uh, as a fellow veterinarian, explain to us how you got into relief veterinary work to begin with. I mean, you know, many of us just kind of went out, went to practice, whether it was a specialty, emergency general, but you kind of took a different path. I did. And, you know, so I graduated in 2004. I did an internship. Uh, I was an associate for a little bit. And actually, I did a partial internship <laughs> and I had to drop out because I was sick. So I oh. went, I got better. Yeah, I got better. And then I went into associate practice and then it really bugged me that I didn't finish that internship. So I went back and I did it again. And finishing that internship the second time was what gave me this little break. And I thought to myself, all right, you know, I could go back to my associate position. And I worked at a wonderful practice, multi-doctor practice, but I decided I wanted to like look around and see what other people were doing, what other practices were like. And so I started doing relief work, really maybe kind of as a way to look to see if there was another place I could land. Um, but really, I, I was just kind of nosy. Like I wanted to see <laughs> what else was going on out there. Um, so that was how I started doing relief. And when I had this little shift in mindset that I realized relief could actually be a career choice was when my husband, who's a freelance photographer, ended up getting a position in Missoula, Montana with a, a school, a photography school for a six month um, gig. And so we moved from Florida to Missoula, Montana, and I didn't know any of the veterinary clinics there. So I, you know, sent out you know, marketing letters and my resume and I made business cards. And that was the point at which I realized, oh, this can actually be a career choice. And I am a business to business service provider. Okay. So what happened, happened after that first six month stint in Montana? So, well, one, I realized I was the only 
true relief vet in town, what those practices had been doing is they would just help each other out. Right. So, um, you know, and, it, and if they couldn't find someone, they would close. And that was just kind of the way things worked there. But when I came in town, I realized, first of all, people didn't even need to know who I was. They were like, you are a warm body with a veterinary degree. Come on over. <laughs> right, Here are the keys right. to my clinic. <laughs> Which completely floored me, but they were so desperate for yeah, help. Right, right. And um, so I had more work than I knew what to do with. And and that really, but that six month stint in Montana really shifted my mindset. And I suddenly started to realize that the practice is my client, not the pet parent, not the pet. Now I take good care of them, sure. of course, as part of my duty of being a veterinarian and also to support their bond to the practice. But I really started to have this shift in mindset where I understood that the practice was my client and my job was to come in and support their practice while they were away. So did you move out of Montana after the six-month uh, gig for your husband was up or did you stick around there or what happened? Oh, I see, yes. Um, so no, we were there from May through October, which is the perfect time to be in Montana. <laughs> <Yeah>. The only <laughs> time the we only went... time I want to be there. Sorry, Montana, but it's cold up there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's cold and it gets really dark. But that I mean, summers are knock your socks off and the fall is really pretty too. Then we would drive back to Florida and uh it's beautiful to be in Florida in the winter, as um everyone knows, and that's why our population swells so much in the winter. <laughs> and then we would go back and we did this three years in a row. So uh -huh. we went um, Montana, Florida, Montana, Florida, both at the most beautiful times of year. Wow. Okay. So that's cool. So now what happens after that three year? Because I think this is part of the story that I want to make sure the viewfinders understand because, you know, a lot of times people think of, of this nomadic lifestyle of the relief vet or the relief vet tech. And, and honestly, you kind of got to a different part of nomadism. I think that's the word. Right. Yeah. So I ended up, so my husband and I both found we really liked this lifestyle of living in different parts of the country. Now we don't have any little people. And so we were able to just throw our dogs in the car and go and go places. And I found that getting licensed in other states was not, uh, depending on the state, not all that challenging. You know, there's a lot, a lot of hoops to jump through, sure. but, but very doable if you plan ahead. And so we ended up, um, um, sort of doing this lifestyle of, of being nomads over and over again, but we would pick different places. So we, we've done Washington and we've, um, we've done California and, you know, we're actually in California right now. And, and then we spend part of the year in Florida. So we've just made this a real lifestyle. And I realized that, you know, I'm not the only one. And actually I'll give you a little insight into what, you know, like a, an interesting needle in a haystack story. So I was sitting at my breakfast table in Florida. I get like a little LinkedIn notification from a solo doctor practitioner in Truckee, California, which is near Lake Tahoe. And uh, she, I don't know her and she doesn't know me. And she reaches out and she said, Hey, would you cover my maternity leave? And, you know, I'm just crazy enough to I just shout over the breakfast. Hey, Jimmy, you want to go to Tahoe for the summer? And he was like, <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I write her back and I'm like, yeah, let's talk. So we have a half hour conversation. I mean, and this is how crazy um, this whole 
system is. We have a half hour conversation. Um, we both agree. And I, you know, a few months later, I throw my dogs in the car and we drive across the country. And it turned out brilliantly for both of us. Like basically the clinic was mine for the summer. I was the you know, only doctor there. I worked Monday through Friday uh, and Saturdays and Sundays I went hiking and she had a lovely time with her baby and uh, it worked out. It worked out brilliantly. Boy, and I love you know, that. how I is it that. possible right. I love right? it. that this vet in Florida and this vet in California connect? Love it. I think, you, you know, it, one, it is absolutely amazing. And I think one, the way you connect is the fact that I have seen, I think in, it was like 2015, I started doing relief technician work. Like, Early on when yeah. nobody even was like, why would why would we why even would need attack? a relief tech? Right. And I'm like, well, because you're killing your staff. That's why. But like what the deeper thing I hear, Dr. Cindy, is just the she had a wonderful time with her baby. Um, you're taking the time off that you need. People are getting the the literal relief like that. The word relief veterinarian is like actually really significant because there is so much weight on their shoulders. And if it is a one doctor practice or a two doctor practice, I mean, you can't be a man down. It's just literally not an option. And some of these towns that you're talking about are really small towns. They don't have other, these patients would have to go hours. Um, So, you know, when, when you say like, how is this possible? I guess my question is then, okay, yes. How is it possible? So for all of those people out there that are like one, Oh my God, yes, where do I find a hundred of you? And two, ears are perking. This sounds interesting. You know, what do you say to those guys? So I so I started Relief Rover, which is a um a platform to connect relief professionals, veterinarians, and and we have technicians as well to employers who are looking, you know, for their services. And mostly that involves practices, but it also, we've had uh, telehealth companies and we've actually had people looking for veterinary writers and, and different things. So anybody who's looking for an independent contract vet or a technician. And, and the reason I started Relief River was for that exact, the, the light bulb went off with that LinkedIn connection with that solo doctor. I thought to myself, I am not the only one who is willing to travel and that your pool of relief professionals may not just be the ones in your backyard. Exactly. People have all sorts of reasons for wanting to move around to whether they're relocating or they have, you know, parents who live in one part of the country and they want to bring their kids for the summer. So the kids can spend the summer with the grandparents and they can support that travel with work or, you know, there's a, a, a bazillion different reasons for that. So that was why I started Relief Rover, because when I looked around, I realized two things. One, there, there was not a national platform at the time that was connecting relief professionals and hospitals. There were regional staffing agencies, and relief vets have uh, you know, uh, existed for a very, very long time, um, but there was no national platform that was supporting them, and nobody was talking about relief practice. Nobody was thinking about relief pra practitioners as being true business-to-business -business service providers and how can they be better business-to-business -business service providers. So I kind of I just took it upon myself to um, 
start talking about it and start finding my way into speaking at conferences and doing things like that so that we could elevate relief practice and sort of bring it to the forefront as something other than just putting a warm body in a shift. Yeah, it's really, it's so interesting, Cindy, because, you know, if you look at other countries, and I'm really speaking to our UK listeners today, locum vets, that's like a common thing, you know, and, and the US was always behind. I never quite understood. And and I love what, you, what you're saying, because viewfinders, I think too often we limit the, the search for relief staff to our local geography. And what happened was Dr. Cindy here said, hey, we can leverage technology to expose you to a Florida vet to California. And, and that's where we've got to expand our horizons when it comes to who can help us. Because Dr. Cindy, one of the things that we get very, very frustrated and vocal about on the on the viewfinder here is that, you know, people give us a multitude of excuses of why they can't give relief and why, you know, these people are burning out and, you know, and, and you're offering a solution that's real tangible and actionable by anybody. Yeah. And I, I agree with Becky. Like, I love the word relief. I know everywhere else in the world and in human medicine, they're called locum. But relief is such a nice word because it is a relief. You, We are giving those people a break. So relief practice really supports not just the crunch we're having now because of COVID, but before that as well. It really supports well-being in our profession, whether you are a relief professional and therefore you have the ability to control where, when, you know, where and when you work and to some degree how you work, um, or whether you're utilizing relief services to give yourself or your associates the time off guilt-free. And the guilt-free part is important because You know, I worked when I was an associate, I worked at a multi-doctor practice and it has a uh, emergency clinic attached to it. So it's it's essentially 24-7. Now, when we would take vacation as associates, they, they never hired relief. So we would feel guilty because we knew that when if I were to take a vacation, I knew that my colleagues were gonna have to pick up my slack while I was gone. And that we would see the same number of patients. We would just see the same number of patients with less doctors. And then when I got back, my colleagues would um, be exhausted. And then, of course, they need a break. And then it's just this self-perpetuating cycle of exhausting everyone. And if you can get a relief practitioner in, um, then it takes that that weight off and it it serves the clients better too, frankly, because they can get, they have a rested veterinarian seeing them rather than someone who is, you know, just scrambling and trying to, to get through the day. Really good point. Really good point. So I, I think that leads me to another thought, like line where you mention the client gets arrested veterinarian. What was the reception like? So for the, the people out there who are like, oh, my clients would never go for that. They just will die without me. They must see me. Uh, how are you received in these clinics? Uh, what's that look like for you? Yeah, I do think one of the skills of a relief vet, and I think there are some specific skills that relief vets bring to the table. And one of them is to quickly gain the trust of the client because you are suspect. Um, you know, you're the client is, isn't going to trust you immediately. And nor is the staff, by the way. So you need to have the confidence to come in um, 
you know, be friendly, have the sort of emotional intelligence to, um, you know, manage your own mood. Like if you're in a bad mood that day, just tuck that in your pocket, save that for later, because you're, you're the stranger in the clinic and your mood is going to um, trickle down and dictate um, what goes on with the staff. So you earn their trust and you, and you very quickly earn the trust of, of the client. And there are a few little tips and tricks to do that. One is just being friendly, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of a no brainer. But the thing that I always do too, is I look back at the record, even if their visit is unrelated to their last visit. And sometimes this is hard to do when you're busy, but I look back and I see at least the last visit. And let's just say they were there for, um, you know, diarrhea. And I, I come in and I will say, hey, I see that Eddie, you know, was here three months ago for diarrhea. Did all of that get resolved? And what that does is, one, I might get some medical information that's important to me. But two, they suddenly realize that even though I'm not their primary vet, that I care. I bothered yeah. to look. And I care about their pet. And um, so that will almost immediately um, make them trust trust me. And then the clinic can do other things as well to make sure that that pet parent is comfortable with the relief vet. And one of the main mistakes that I see is the, uh, the client service reps will be saying things like, you know, oh, no, Dr. Ward's not here today, but the relief vet is here. Do you want to see them? No, no, no. Don't say, don't yeah. say the <laughs> R word. <laughs> don't say the R word. Say, Dr. Ward is not here today, but his trusted colleague, Dr. Trice, is here. We would be happy to fit you in at 3 o'clock. You need to refer to the relief vets by their name and let those pet parents know that this is a trusted colleague of your practice. And then they're going to be much more um, receptive to taking that appointment and your practice will stay productive. So who's coaching that? Do you have to walk into the clinic and say like, here's, here's how you need to talk to your clients and obviously how is that received? Or are you coaching the clinic and the, the, the veterinarian that you're going to relieve before you get there? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, to be honest, I don't coach before, um, sometimes if I'm there and it kind of depends because you want to handle these things very delicately, I'm on their home turf yeah, and I'm not going to come in and walk around and say, you need to do this, this yeah, way, you yeah. need to do this, right. you know, <laughs> that would not be well received. So, um, often I don't, it depends. I, I may say something to, to the CSRs if, um, if there seems like an opportunity, like, Hey, you know, if it seems like they're saying no to the relief, just feel free to use my name, you know, just call me Dr. Trice, you know, and that, and that might help them. You know, I just try to take a friendly approach and uh, a non-judgmental approach and, and just see if that, if that will help. Wow. Great advice. Um, so what is the, you, you described a couple of experiences that you've had, but they involved you going someplace for months at a time. What does the typical locum relief experience look like for people that are in relief for over, is it a day, a week, a month? Uh, what does that, what does that look like? It is all over the place. And one of the things that I've learned with, with relief rover is that we are attracting all sorts of people. So we're attracting the business-to-business -business service providers like myself. 
myself. And, you know, I'll do long-term gigs. I'll do short-term gigs. You know, I'll work a day here, um, a week there. But we're also attracting people who are, um, you know, maybe they're in nutrition or pharma or other industries and they just miss clinical practice. Yeah. So they just want to pick up a shift here, a shift there, and they're not doing it to be, um, to get a hundred percent back in the clinical practice. They're doing it to keep their, their toe in. And then the other, another group of people we're seeing are people who are shopping for a place to land and they're using relief practice to check out clinics. Clinics behave differently when they're wooing you to come on as an associate than they do when you just come in as a relief vet. When you come in as a relief vet, you really, you really do get to see them on their sort of normal um, behavior, their normal flow. And that's a way to, to really kind of find, okay, this may be a place I want to land. And that works the other way as well. So you mentioned also earlier a little bit about some of the emotional intelligence needs associated, <laughs> but like what, who makes the ideal relief candidate? Like what, who is the kind of person that really is successful in this role? I feel like the, if you've got to be flexible, you, if, if you are someone who really, you like a certain way of doing things, you like knowing where your stuff is, you, <laughs> you you like a similar routine, you, you need your, um, your nurse or your technician to um, kind of know your flow, you're probably not going to enjoy relief <laughs> practice. Um, relief practice involves a lot of flexibility. And I think, honestly, that's, to, for me, that's one of the things that makes it fun. So I need to be able to come in to, and I can work at a 24 our specialty emergency care practice, and I will adjust my approach to match that. And I can work at the one doctor rural practice in Montana, and then I adjust my approach to match that. And that's, to me, what makes it fun. So flexibility, you need to have a flexible medical mind, because you need to be able, you may not have all, always have the same tools or the same resources to use to treat a patient. So you need to have a flexible medical mind. I do think you need to be a people person. This is so, you're going to be working with all these different teams. They're going to have different skill sets. You're, um, they're going to have different personality types. Practices are going to have different cultures. And you need to be able to roll with that if you're going to enjoy it. Um, so those are, I would say, you know, some of, some of the big things. You know, uh, Cindy, I would also imagine that you kind of have to leave judgment at the door when you walk into a clinic as a relief vet, right? Because they may not have the tools that you're used to or would like. Uh, so I, I think this, I like this flexibility and open-mindedness, but how do you deal with that? Like, let's say you go to a clinic and they're obviously deficient in something. It could be a drug, it could be a diagnostic tool, it could be a therapeutic tool, but you know, it's something that you're like, oh, okay, how do I do it? Like, how, how do you handle that? Or how do you coach your relief rover vets to handle those situations when they don't have what they think they need? I definitely, I agree with that about it's best to leave judgment at the door. It's real easy to, to come in and say, oh, you know, they don't do this right. They don't right. do that right. Um, and if you find yourself feeling that way frequently, then then maybe relief practice isn't for you. But if you look at it another way and you come in and say, you know what, my basics and any veterinarian's basics 
are the history and the physical exam. And, and if you've ever worked in, you know, um, developing countries and helping animals where you, you don't have the resources, you do remember that these are your, and sometimes even in those situations, you don't have a history. So you're really relying on your physical exam. So we've got to remember all of us were taught these um, tools and these are our best tools, period. And so you just may need to leverage those basics more at some clinics than at others. And, and understanding the different, you know, your different antibiotic choices and, you know, having, you know, your different sedation protocols, um, the more of those that you have in your toolkit, the more comfortable you can be at different practices and you will learn. As you go from practice to practice, you're gonna your toolkit's gonna get bigger and bigger. Oh yeah, I, I can tell you, I have tremendous, huge respect for for the people that do relief because you've got to be you've got to know your game. Um, as we kind of wrap up today's conversation, I'd like to talk about the economics of it. I mean, relief veterinary work, uh, relief vet tech work can be can be quite appealing and and lucrative, can it? Yeah, and I think right now the the supply and demand equation is way out of whack. Yeah, we we. Sure. We all see that there's so much more demand for relief professionals than, than there is supply. And uh, so relief professionals are com- can command some big, some high rates. And the thing for practices to remember is that this isn't about, you know, squeezing out every right. dime from them. But relief professionals are business to business service providers. So we, we have to build into our rates, um, you know, our, we pay our quarterly taxes, our continuing education, our licensing fees, um, you know, all of those things, our insurance, all of the things that, that may be part of a benefits package, that is part of uh, us running our own business. And we build that into our fees and sometimes travel. You know, if, if a local practice can't find someone local, then um, travel may be part of, of the compensation. Yeah, and Sydney, I'm glad we, we kind of are touching on this because I, I not long ago, uh, I had a vet who was complaining to me about they had a relief vet come in for a week, right? They needed a vacation, so they gave this relief vet, and they were complaining about how they didn't make the same amount of revenue, and they paid this vet so much money, and I was like, but what price can you put on your your vacation? Like, you know, you got to go spend time with your family. You know, you didn't have to worry about the clinic. I mean, you know, you know so there's that other part, which, which you've touched on multiple ways. But, you know, I think if you're listening viewfinders out there and you just look at this as saying, I want to make money, like, like Cindy said, squeezing every penny out of a relief vet or vet tech, that's probably the wrong attitude. I mean, what you're doing is, as I love the way she articulated, you're giving relief to somebody in a guilt-free fashion. So, Cindy, I think it's priceless. Me personally, I think it's well worth every penny any that I would spend. Yeah. And I think as a relief professional and as a business to business service provider, part of my job is to be cognizant of, you know, the, the economics of that hospital. And, um, I want to, I want them to be productive that day. I want appointments to come in. I don't want to sit on my phone and play Candy Crush. I want <laughs> to be productive and, but I only have so much control over that. Wow. Okay. So if there's a viewfinder out there today, a veterinarian or a veterinary technician who says, this sounds like something I might be interested in, what, where can they go? How do they learn more? How can they start this journey? So they can go to relieferover.com 
and uh, check us out. It is uh, membership is free for both relief veterinarians and technicians. Uh, for hospitals, there's a um, low cost subscription fee. We really wanted to make this a low a low cost service that we don't get in the middle of the uh, business relationship between the buyer of services and the seller of services. So free for relief professionals, minimal fee for employers. That's pretty outstanding. I, I, per, I personally think it's a brilliant idea, and I love that you are including technicians here, and I think there is I mean, if for every one veterinarian short a clinic is, it seems like they're short five technicians. And so um, <laughs> in, in, and I think that goes for technicians in industry as well. And just, I don't know, keeping your heart in practice while you are growing and the entrepreneurial um, potential is is beautiful. So I really appreciate you taking the time. And, and again, including, um, I kind of want to know what you guys are doing out there. Are you using vet tech? relief are you using veterinarians um what does that look like for you guys and if you need them <laughs> you know where to go find them you can reach out to us on facebook at veterinary viewfinder on instagram at veterinary viewfinder and you can tweet at dr ernie at vet viewfinder <laughs> and again thank you dr cindy trice ReliefRover.com. we'll leave links in the show notes below if you are feeling like you need a vacation definitely check them out because it just might be what that veterinarian order. Dr. Cindy Trice, thank you so much. Until next week, viewfinders, bye. 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 Yeah, you do a great job. You're a natural podcaster. Oh, yay. That's, a, that's <laughs> apparently a thing. All right.